Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Ocean State Sidelines. I'm Brendan McGear, sports writer with the Pawtucket Tigers One Soccer Call. Thrilled to be joined by my co-pilot. Finally, it's been months. Will Gagan, sports editor of The Independent. Will, I know it's February outside, but first of all, since we haven't done this in a while, I don't care. It is, like I said, February. Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> Happy New Year to you as well. Good, good to be back here on Ocean State Sidelines. We didn't have much to talk about for a while, and, you know, life is busy and whatnot, but here we are with uh, with kind of a lot to talk about on the local college hoops. Yeah, a lot to talk about here. We're recording this on a Friday afternoon. I was just on a Zoom with uh, Ed Cooley, the PC head coach. They're getting ready to go down to Georgetown, your first place, Providence College Friars. You know, kind of wrap that around your uh, tongue as we uh, – you know, get down to the, the nitty gritty of college basketball season. But here they are, Will. Friars, nationally ranked. They've been there since right before Christmas. They're hot right now. And, uh, you know, it, it's a kind of a different tenor for this Friar group where they're the ones being chased as opposed to for years. It just felt like they were the ones this time of year. They What were they going to do to would need to do to get into the NCAA tournament? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. This this was the time of year where it's like, okay, are we do they have a shot to I get an large bid? Is it gonna have, are they gonna have to run the table at Madison Square Garden? Are they gonna be trying to peak at the right time? And and now it's just they're they're just chugging along. Uh what I mean, you know, big picture wise, this is just a dream season. Uh nineteen and two, nine and one in Big East play. Whatever happens from here, they they keep the pace. Uh, what a memorable start it's been, uh, even beyond a start at this point. Uh, I hope I hope PC fans are are enjoying the heck out of this. Certainly looks like they are when you see the scenes from the dunk. You do. They are certainly enjoying. I mean, that Marquette game last Sunday. You know, they were down nine in the second half, but the fans they were they they were in it. And maybe this also speaks to last year when fans weren't allowed to go see the team. Yeah. Like a two years worth of pent-up weight to go see him and even two years worth of students we can't think about the students i mean the student sections this year at the dunk have been phenomenal probably the best that i've seen since i've covered them and you know i once sat in those seats as an undergrad but to have that support has been great and also too well it's just you know it also speaks to this friar team they're older and that's uh you know such a huge thing in this day and age of college basketball i know the extra year of covid a lot of these players took advantage of it but you know, Ed Cooley has assembled a group that's hungry. You know, the only current player on this roster that has any type of NCAA tournament experience is Nate Watson, and he had it back in 2018, which feels like a lifetime ago. But the Al Durham's, the Justin Manias, they came from big-time programs, never got a sniff of the NCAA tournament. They're hungry, and I think that's one of the true storylines of this group this year. They're hungry to get to the big dance. That's a huge part of it, right? I mean, I don't know if you could draw up something better than – a really experienced team that has not tasted the NCAA tournament. Like that team, of course, they're going to be hungry. Of course, they're going to play really hard. And the experience is just so huge. I mean, the, the statistics around this team in close games, uh, it really all boils down to that. I mean, these guys have been there before. They know how to win these close games. And, and with this group, once you do it, once you do it at one time, a couple times, all of a sudden, like, there is just such confidence. And that's really what it takes in college basketball to win close games. Uh, you, you get rolling, you believe in yourself to do it, and that's what it's all about. And, uh, and they are certainly doing it. And I know that a lot of Friar fans have kind of worked themselves up into a lather about the luck quotient on Ken Palm, that uh, it's kind of uh, been the running joke of how, oh, 
what do you mean that they're lucky? They're winning all these close games. I like to think, well, the opposite, that they are clutch. They are making winning plays at crunch time. And one play that has really stood out to me this season is when they beat Xavier about a week ago. You know, Al Durham, they got the steal at the end. You think he's a fifth-year senior? That's his play. He's going to go to the basket. No, he stopped. He knew he, he, knew he had a trailer and Jared Bidem. He kicked it to him, and Jared Bidem hit the three. I think that speaks more than anything, more of a, a selfless group, but also, to a clutch group that knows how to make the correct play in the, at the correct moment. Yeah, and I would add to that, you know, in, in addition to being clutch, they, to an extent, make their own luck, if you want to talk about, talk about luck. They are not making mistakes. They are not doing stupid things in the final four minutes of games. And that's a time in a game in college basketball where a lot of stupid things happen. Like, things go crazy. You get panicked. You lose control. They don't do that. So they set themselves up. They make themselves, make their own luck. They set themselves up to be clutch. And then they, on top of doing that, they are clutch. They're, they're making the big shots. They're, they're doing what they need to do to win. Uh, and, it's, and it's a huge deal. I mean, to, to have that ability, uh, I mean, it, it, with a team where a lot of other things are equal, like they, they can hang with everybody. Clearly, they're, they're one of the best teams in the Big East. They'll hang with most teams they play. To be able to then hang with a team and get over the hump down the stretch, uh, no wonder they're 19-2. No, it, it's uh, it, there's been a lot of factors. Obviously, having Nate Watson, you know, go for him. I thought the other night. Well, he went had one point in the first half. He ended up with 16. You know, that's a huge, huge jump for a player. Because sometimes when you see star players, you know, have a tough first half, it's almost like you know, what can we do to re-engage them? And then once again, it speaks to this hungry factor that this group has, and also a maturity aspect. Of able, the ability to kind of you know file away, turn the page, and realize there's still another half here to go. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, that's the experience thing. You might a freshman in that spot, you might lose them, you might lose them for that game, chalk it up. Uh, but not not this team. And you know that St. John's game. I, I watched that game. St. John's made so many runs at them. They had the great crowd behind them, but PC was just sort of like steadily holding them off, keeping them in arm's length, making the plays they needed to play. It's just a really impressive win. Well, we'll see. Uh, you know, the Friars play on Sunday at, at Georgetown. Then they have a few days off. They don't play again until February 12th at home against DePaul. So they kind of have a chance to kind of, quote unquote, fatten their Big East record a little bit more. And, you know, they still have two more two games against Villanova. That will be interesting. But um, Villanova, this is, it's not the same Villanova team as in years past. They're coming They're coming off being swept by Marquette. We'll get into that a little bit. But uh you know, right now, well, here we are as we sit on a Friday, the first one in February. I think the sky's the limit for this group in terms of maybe not only making noise in the Big East tournament, but also, too, when they get to March. You know, it could be one of those teams that you just don't want to face. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to face this team. Bunch of bunch of grown men out there. No way. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, as it says right now, only seven seven games left in the regular season. Uh, you know, I guess there's a might be a chance of some rescheduling, but um, yeah, it's getting getting down to crunch time. I mean, it's pretty slim. I would think at this point, just because yeah. there's so many you know games going on right now, and you know, it, it was a good theory in the Big East's part to kind of say that we're mm. going to do our best to reschedule. But you know, you mentioned uh, you know the PC team was hit by three games losing them due to a COVID pause, but uh, right. you know, it's um, and I thought that was going to be a very tough stretch for the Friars. And you look at it, they were going to have UConn, they were going to have Seton Hall. And uh, Creighton, that they were out Creighton actually when the um, the virus really took a hold of the team. But um, you know, it's not just—I don't think anybody up there is crying wolf 
about not having those games. Well, maybe that UConn game, because that was going to be a huge draw. Mm. But, you know, you just play the games that you have in front of you. And uh, right now the Fries are in good shape. Yep, absolutely. So we'll transition now to the roadie Rams, kind of the polar opposite of the Friars, where uh, it's, uh, you know, it was not too long ago that we were thinking maybe this team had a chance to contend in the Atlantic 10. They were three and one after losing their first game against Davidson. But, well, just recently the will, the wheels are really falling off this team. And, you know, maybe one thing you can really point to, and it goes back to maybe their last win against GW. You know, they've had a lot of trouble scoring the basketball. It's just, yeah, it's just been a big, big struggle. Like you said, I mean, three and one, you know, the non-conference kind of was what it was. They had the long COVID pause too, didn't really play any great teams. So at that time, I felt like, you know, it was sort of unclear what the what this team could be. Um, you know, struggled with Providence, obviously. Uh, beat Harvard, I guess that was probably the, the best win. Beat Boston College. Um, well, beat Bryant. Yeah, beat Bryant. <laughs> yes, beat Boston College twice. Beat Bryant. Didn't really know what to expect. Then they get off to a 3-1 and one start in A-10 play, and the one loss, uh, they played Davidson really tough, and Davidson has kind of emerged as the, the team to beat in the A-10. So at that point, you're thinking, all right, this is, uh, you know, they, they've got a shot here to be top half of the league, certainly. Uh, maybe if things go their way, they're top four. And then the bottom has just fallen out. Uh, you know, that George Washington, they, they almost, it almost started with LaSalle when they had a big-time trouble with LaSalle. And then George Washington got them a few days later, which was just a, a really, really bad loss for them. Richmond at Dayton, which you never really expected them to win. Um, it, they ended up making that a, a really tight game. That was probably the best performance of the last four. Uh, and then just a terrible, terrible first half at Fordham before they, uh, they ultimately came back but couldn't get over the hump. So four straight losses. Just not really sure where the Rams go from here. I think, uh, you know, it's – Talking about PC being such an old team, URI is, doesn't have that that level of experience. A few guys, I mean, Jeremy Shepard and, and Ish Elamin, but some of these other guys just, uh, you know, they're a little younger. They, they don't have that that ability. They haven't shown it yet to, to finish games when games that are close, they, they've blown some leads. Uh, so it's just at this point, they're just kind of trying to keep their head above water, I think, um, you know, heading into the stretch run. I mean, there is a bright spot for the Rams, and it has to involve a, a Rhode Island native, Providence native specifically, former Henrik and Sebastian Thomas. You know, Will, you know, in this day and age of college basketball where it's really been apparent that, you know, if you're a true freshman this year, it's going to be hard for you to get on the floor. Thomas has made the most of his opportunity. He started a couple of games ago against Richmond when uh, you no know, Jeremy Shepard due to an injury. He had seven assists that night, coming off a, uh, you know, a career-high nine points the last time out against Fordham. You know, he's been a pleasant surprise to me and, and uh, you know, maybe someone that they can really see if they can develop down the stretch here, you know, besides trying to like get back on the winning track. Right. Yeah, I think I think that's true is a, a chance to kind of build for the future around him. Uh, even at this point, I don't, I don't think it's a stretch to say that because he's that kind of player, uh, just true point guard, great vision, great handles. Uh, and he's shown an ability to score a little bit. I don't, you know, I don't know if that's going to be a consistent thing for him right now. Eventually, down the road, it could be. But yeah, he's just, they're just, you know, it was very clear very early on that they were a better team when he was on the floor. He just makes things happen. They don't really have a, a true, true point guard other than him. You know, Jeremy Shepard, I think, has has kind of been thrust into that role, but is more of a a shooter, a, a two guard, and is, is better in that spot. So Sebastian Thomas has been great. Um, you know, I think they need to play him as much as possible, really, uh, both both for the future and for getting back on the winning track. I think that that will help in, in both cases. 
uh, it's certainly a pleasant surprise for a guy who was going to redshirt uh, when when the season started. So he's he's been great. Uh, but Rams need a lot more from him and, and really from everybody because um, the stretch is it, it's going to get tougher. You know, first four game losing streak. They have UMass Saturday a game they should win, uh, but after that at VCU, then home against Davidson, home against Dayton. They've got St. Bonaventure, St. Louis still. So. They haven't even faced the iron of the league yet. Um, so it, it's going to be uh, an interesting February, to say the least. In very, very interesting. You, know, you mentioned, you know, what that three-game winning streak earlier this year, one of those wins came against UMass. So that's almost kind of a, a must-win when you look at what lies ahead for them afterward. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, you're going to – if you don't beat UMass, uh, you, may be, you may be headed toward an eight-game losing streak. Um you know, depending on what happens, obviously, but uh, that, that could be tough. So, you know, beat UMass and then maybe you can uh, get a little bit of momentum going and start feeling good about yourself again. This team under David Cox has had a history, not this specific team, but under David Cox, URI has had a history of being streaky, uh, both good and bad. So, you know, there's still time. There's still time for them to get something going. They do have some talent. They have some potential. But the uh, I think the concerns that were sort of evident early on they have won out over the potential at this point. We'll see what happens from here. And we'll uh, go transition now to Bryant. Kind of, we're going the good team, struggling team, back to <laughs> a good team that's kind of like you know treading in the right direction. You know, Bryant came through with a huge win Thursday night at St. Francis. So you down in Loretto, PA, not an easy place to get to, 89-82. And um, you know they're maintaining a uh, you know. A stronghold in second place, the NEC, you know, looking forward to a big showdown against Wagner, currently undefeated in the league play later this month. Charles Pride uh, last night, well, 44 points in a college basketball game. You know, granted, there was no Peter Kiss. Somebody else had to step up. But, um, you know, just specifically about Charles Pride, I remember when he came to Smithfield, you know, a few years ago, back in 2019, he was with Benson Lynn, Michael Green III. And you're, you're kind of thinking those are nice three building blocks for them to, for Jared Grasso to lean on going forward by the time they're juniors, they could really maybe contend for a league title and push for, you know, an automatic NCAA berth. But here it is. He's the only one left, Charles Bride, of those three we just mentioned. And, you know, without him last night, Bride would have been very, would have been very hard pressed to get a win in a tough place. Yeah. I mean, 44 points. That is just, that is no joke. He was 16 of 26 from the field, only had one three which is kind of amazing. 44 points. He only had one three. Uh, and he's 11 for 11 at the free throw line. Unbelievable game. And also, I, he also had a double-double, 44 and 12. <laughs> it was just a pretty ridiculous game. Yeah, I mean, I was at a high school game on Thursday night just keeping along on Twitter, and you're just seeing the point total go up and up and up. But, yeah. But, amazing. you know, with no Peter Kiss uh, being suspended, uh, you know, for this game, and also he'll be missing uh, Saturday's game at uh, Mount St. Mary's. You know he's um he's taking on the uh, the greater role of the shoulder of the uh, scoring and it's great to see and it was also nice to see um, Erickson Bands get a uh, start you know the former Shea High uh, standout Pawtucket native um, nine point seven rebounds for Bryant so there was a little good news on the local front for them last night but um, like we said you know Bryant um, you know it was a kind of a I would say tough slash disappointing non conference record you know they went down mm -hmm. and got absolutely walloped. You know, they, they struggled two nights later against Cincinnati. But, you know, a, a team like Bryant, a program like Bryant, they're not judged on what they do in the non-conference. It comes down to that NEC regular season. And can you put yourself in position where 
you have all the teams come to you come a tournament as opposed to having to go somewhere. And right now, it's uh, looking good on that front when, like we said, they have a big game against Wagner later this month that could decide who gets the top seed in the NEC tournament. Yeah, I think that's the last game of the regular season. So that'll be uh, that'll be really interesting. February 26th, uh, 4 o'clock game against Wagner. The previous Their previous meeting with Wagner uh, was an overtime loss. So uh, certainly those teams are right there. And we'll go over to uh, Brown. You know, uh, once again, our good, struggling, good, struggling. We'll go back to that. It's uh, It's been a tough little stretch here for uh, the Brown Bears, a team that I thought on paper had a chance to really go into this last stretch, you know, probably, you know, doing what they could to be in that top four of the Ivy League uh, postseason tournament. Right now they're just scratching to just get in. Tough game against Cornell the other day. They were down big. They fought back. Couldn't get the job done, but um, they're home for two games. They got a game Friday night against Harvard and also once again against Dartmouth at this point. Well, they have to just like string wings together here. Yeah, it looks like five or six, seven games left for them. So they need to get hot. Yeah, it's, it's funny that you said that. I mean, going into the year that they had high expectations and, you know, I, uh, to be honest, haven't seen them much, but certainly my perception of them is as a contender, but it just hasn't really happened uh, consistently enough. So two and five in conference play, uh, they'll be looking to get hot if, if they can, starting with, uh, with the Harvard, with uh, Harvard on Friday. Yeah. And what, you know, what we should say, one pleasant surprise to me at least is the play of freshman Keno Lilly Jr. He came coming off a, a 20 point game against Cornell this past Sunday if he doesn't win Ivy Rookie of the Year, I mean, that's there should be a clear investigation. He is definitely somebody that Mike Martin and his staff can build around in years to come. We talked about Sebastian Thomas. Brown certainly has that with a, a freshman of uh, Keno Lilly's uh, caliber. Yeah, he's been really good. And obviously, you know, Tamanang Cho's been around forever. They have some talent. Just you know, see if they can make a click for, uh, for a last-ditch last push here. Well, well we're, we're each going to close here, this Ocean State Sidelines uh you know, podcast with a thought, you know, Will, I will let you talk about the URI women could be one of the, you know, we talk about PC men and Brian men and being good stories, but also too, there's something exciting going down in Kingston this winter. Absolutely. You know, it's, this has been building. I mean, you could kind of tell those early Tammy Reese teams when she, when she took over, they, they had that look of like a team that was going to work really hard. You were, I clearly found a really strong rising star coach in Reese. Um, and, and they've been, you know, they came into this year off, off a really strong year last year, added even more talent, got some transfers in to go with their core and they've been just fantastic, you know, got off to a great start, had a little bump in the road. They lost three in a row, um, late November into early December. And then they had a, a COVID pause that didn't play for 20, 21 days, something like that. Uh, but they've just been rolling since then. Uh, 10 straight wins. They're now 7-0 in an A-10 play, 17-3 and overall. They're in the mix for an NCAA tournament berth, which I, I don't remember the last time a, a, a Rhode Island, URI women's team, I mean, it has been really, really, really struggled for a lot of years. Uh, I don't remember the last time a Rhode Island team in general uh, was in, in the mix for that. So we'll see what happens. Um, you know, the, I think the A-10 doesn't doesn't often get a ton of uh, multi, it's not a multi-bid league very often for women's basketball. Um, so it may come down to, to winning the conference, but they certainly have a shot to do that. Big game's coming up. They've got Fordham on uh, February 13th and Dayton twice down the stretch, February 16th and February 26th. Dayton has kind of been the 
uh, the powerhouse in that league for a few years now. So URI has a, has a shot to do something really special. And uh, you know, I think if you want to see some good, some good basketball, um, go check out a game. You know, they, they need some support. Fan, fan support has not, not really clicked yet for them. Attendance hasn't gone up much, but it should uh, because they're, they're a really fun team to watch. I'll close this week talking about uh, Cumberland native Tyler Kolick. You know, it was great to see him in person at the dunk last Sunday. You know, I had spent some time with his parents, you know, the previous Thursday. We actually watched the uh, Channel 12 interview with him at uh, Chops, Cumberland House of Pizza. So that was pretty neat. But, um, you know, for much of the season, we've been talking about Tyler Kolick, the facilitator, the Big East leader assists. You know, he's been, you know, putting his teammates in great positions to score. But, Last Sunday, it was kind of like a throwback game, at least in my eyes, where he scored 13 points and Marquette needed him to score. And Shaka Smart at, said after the game that he actually wanted him to shoot more. And then it brings it up to uh, this past Wednesday night when uh, Marquette played Villanova. You know, complete a, sleep, a season sweep of the Wildcats, something that not a lot of Big East teams can lay claim to, especially since this rebranding of the conference back in 2013. You know, Kolek finished with 18 points. I think, uh, you know, it was nice to see that he started to make an adjustment when teams are no longer, you know, they're not going to just help or play off the pass. He's going to have to do a little bit of scoring. And it looks like, you know, just he has that scoring factor to him. He was always a great shooter, just dating back to his days of a couple in high school. And, you know, it could make Marquette even more difficult out in terms of where they go in the Big East tournament and, and beyond in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, he's, he's been fantastic. What a great move for him to, uh, to, to leave George Mason. Found a perfect landing spot at Marquette, fits his game, and he's, he's been awesome. So that'll do it for this week's episode of Ocean State Sidelines. We'll be back relatively soon. We'll uh, touch upon the high school basketball scene. The regular season is dwindling to a close. We can look forward to not only divisional terms this year, Will, but also an open state term. It's something we haven't had since 2019. Yeah, it'll be back. It's good. Uh, you know, we're heading down the stretch pretty quick. I was very surprised when looking at some schedules this week that we're, we're almost there on hoop season. So buckle up. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll be back soon. Take care.